Praise God. Why don't you be seated? We're going to let the uh, children be dismissed to their uh, junior church classes. And I'd like you to turn once again to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. Jonah, chapter 1. After the book of Obadiah, before the book of Micah, in that section of little books in the Old Testament. Okay? Jonah, chapter 1. Today I want to talk about running, grace, pursuing. Running, grace, pursuing. The story of Jonah is simply this. It is a story of God's relentless love for rebels. His relentless, constant pursuit of sinners so that he can redeem them for his glory. We look at his grace revealed through the life of Jonah. And one writer puts it this way. He says, why is it that we love Jonah so much? His response is he is so much like in our like us in our response to God's guidance. It is impossible to read the story of Jonah and not see yourself in the sailors and Jonah himself in the people of Nineveh in the God person. In some way, you're going to see your life in this story of God's relentless grace towards a man who was so prone to rebel against him. Verse one, we looked at two weeks ago. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. The word of the Lord is that which speaks things into existence. The word of the Lord is that which declares God's purposes for our lives. And so the word of the Lord that spoke the worlds into existence comes to Jonah defining and shaping who he is to be as the messenger of God. Jonah foolishly is defiant. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah goes the complete opposite direction, rejecting the word of the Lord that was to shape him. Jonah is running, I believe, primarily to preserve his own reputation. He's a prophet of Israel. He has experienced success as a prophet of Israel. And God has now asked him to go to the capital city, if you will, of the main enemy of Israel. Jonah runs to preserve his reputation. He does not want his enemies to experience the grace of God that has been shown towards the people of Israel. And in his rebellion, Jonah becomes his own boss, his own master, his own God. He begins to become a man who is serving his reputation and his desires, seeking to create his own identity. He flees from God. And from the happiness that he experienced in God. One Negro spiritual puts it this way in summarizing this first verse, first three verses of this text. It says this, Jonah was a fool, stubborn as a mule. Jonah was a fool. Why? Because he heard the word of the Lord that said to him, Jonah, this is the direction I want you to go in your life. This is how I want you to live your life. And what did Jonah do? Jonah went in the exact opposite direction, doing what you and I and our lives also often do. And two weeks ago, we started looking at lessons we learn when we run from God. What do we see when a man like Jonah, who hears the word of the Lord, God's call, clearly defined in his life, as it is for most of us in various aspects of our lives? We hear the word of the Lord in regards to morality, in regards to purpose, in regards to the living of our lives. We hear it. Do we receive it or do we reject it? If you seek to run from God's presence, here's what you will find. First this, you cannot escape God's 
presence. Verse 3, two times, beginning of the verse and end of the verse, Jonah ran away from the Lord, end of verse 3, to flee from the Lord. Now the question that comes to mind is this, is Jonah's desire to escape God in terms of space? Does Jonah really believe that there is a place on earth where he can go where God will not be present? Okay, and I would argue that I think Jonah in this case is fleeing the presence of God, the ramifications of the face of God in his life. You find the same thing in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sin, God comes walking in the cool of the day. God says to Adam and Eve, where are you? What's the response of Adam and Eve? We hid ourselves from your presence. God says, why? Well, why was it? Because they had fallen into sin and became aware of how deeply and truly broken they were. In a sense, Jonah is doing what Adam and Eve did. In rebellion, what do you have to do? You have to get away from God somehow. You can't escape him spatially. There's no place that you can go where God is not going to be. So what is Jonah trying to He's trying to flee from the ramifications of God looking at his life. Just like our children do. When they want to do something wrong, what do they do? They sneak off into a room and do their disobedience. Okay? Then a presence has ramifications. What is Jonah trying to flee? Jonah is trying to flee the ramifications of living under the face of God. Which means he needs then to do the will of God, the word of God spoken over his life. So Jonah tries to run. What he finds out is that you can't flee from the face of God. Joe Lewis, a boxer. Early on in the 20th century, he said this about his opponent that he was to face. The opponent was very braggadocious, very bold about his anticipated success against Joe Lewis. And Joe Lewis simply made this statement. He said this. He said, he can run. You know the rest of that, right? But he can't hide. Jonah is learning that lesson. You can try to run from the presence of God, to flee the ramification of God watching your life. But what this story tells us is that you cannot flee from the face of God. Secondly, we looked at the fact that you can't avoid the downward pull of sin. It has a gravitational pull. Jonah, in rejecting God, moves down the Joppa, down into the ship, down into the belly of the fish. There is a decided trajectory that we learn about when we turn from the face of God and say, I am going to live my life the way that I want to. I'll be the master of my life. There is a decidedly downward pull. And I believe that that is, for every one of us, a loving warning from the story of Jonah. There is a decidedly downward pull. The third thought I'd like us to look at, and this will get us started for this morning, is this. God is not successfully ignored. Okay, and this is a lesson that we as Christians wrestle with. We know what God wants in specific areas of our life. We think that we can ignore, ignore God's will, God's plan, and do it successfully. What Jonah learns in this account of God's relentless pursuing grace is that when we reject clear directives from God, whether they are big or small, we cannot, if we are his children, successfully ignore them. Jonah is simply becoming a rebel. A rebel is someone who does this. They intentionally disregard God's directives and yield to their own desires. Okay, they intentionally disregard God's directives and seek to set themselves up as God. When I reject God, you know what I end up having to be? I end up having to be the God of my life. I end up having to be the master of my life. And I'm going to tell you something. None of us are successful replacements for God. Okay, it's idolatry. That's what it is. We have ourselves before God. 
And that's where Jonah has himself in this account as he seeks to flee the presence of God. Now, the thing that to me is amazing in this story is that the sinner in this book is not in the immediate context the pagan sailors. The sinners in this book immediately are not the people of Nineveh. Who's the sinner in this story? It's the prophet of God. It's the man who is religious, who is obviously during his life served the purposes of God. He's the one that's in rebellion. What we can tend to think is, because I've come to Christ and know him personally, I can't be guilty of such rebellion. I'm here to tell you this morning that it is possible for us, even though we know God and know his love, it is possible for us to seek satisfaction outside and apart from him. We're all familiar with the story of the prodigal son. He knew he had a loving father. In his rebellion, he turned away from his loving father, sought to set his own course for his life, to find joy and satisfaction by turning against his father and rebelling. And we know that that is a story of God's relentless love for us. John 4, the woman at the well, is seeking satisfaction apart from God. But God in his mercy and kindness and grace will not let us find ultimate satisfaction in those things. They always turn into what Isaiah calls feeding on ashes. Rebellion never gives the payoff that it promises. It always leaves us empty. That's what every idol in our lives does. It can't satisfy us. Jonah's leaving God because he thinks he can be happier outside of God's plan for his life. And what he finds is incredible difficulty and hardship because God loved Jonah and God loves you and I too much to allow us to prosper in our sin. You know why? Because sin can never give you the kind of joy that only God can give. In Psalm 1611, the psalmist puts it this way. He says, you fill me with joy in your presence. Psalm 1715, I will be satisfied when, when I see your face. Now, what is Jonah doing? He's turned from the face of God, seeking to find joy and happiness in his own plan. And what is he going to find? He's going to find deep darkness and deep distress as he once runs away from God. But he's also going to find out that God is not successfully ignored. I want to say this to you this morning. If you know Jesus Christ, you need to learn this lesson soon. God, his purposes, the word of the Lord over your life is not successfully ignored. And when you ignore it, it is going to lead you in a decidedly downward path because God cannot be successfully ignored. But when you do ignore God, here's the, th the fourth thought that I want to share with you. When you do ignore God, here's what you will learn. Look at verse four of this text. Okay, Jonah's gone down into a ship. He's headed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Verse four, then the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. God initiated from his hand, the book of Psalms says, wind, and he threw it towards the ship that Jonah was on. It created such a violent storm that it threatened to break up the ship. How does God pursue Jonah? Okay, and here's what I hope that you understand. God has extraordinary resources to pursue you in your sin. When you try to disregard him and set a new course for your life that is decidedly away from him, he has incredible resources. The first resource that he unleashes is the storm of wind. He hurls this at this ship. Verse 5 tells us that the response of seasoned sailors is that they were afraid 
And each one began to do what? Cry out to his own God. Folks, please understand this. You will find very few atheists or skeptics in the serious storms of life. Okay, Jonah is trying to act like an atheist. What is he doing? He's trying to flee from the face, the ramifications of the presence of God. What is he going to learn? God is not successfully ignored, and God has extraordinary means that he will unleash to pursue us. In this case, he unleashes a storm. And even these seasoned sailors, and if if you know anything historically about sailors, if you know the story of John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, sailors are not the kind of people that you hope your daughter will grow up and marry. Okay, They're, they're undesirables. But in the midst of the storm, what happens? Oh, that's right. My son-in-law's in the Coast Guard. Okay. Yeah. Forgot that part. It's true. Okay. With that. All right. Okay. That's right. Right. That's true. So Jonah runs. God sends a storm. The storm awakens the heart of sinners. And they cry out to God. But folks, I want you to understand this. What kind of crying out are they doing? They're doing crying out that's bargaining with God. They're crying out as if we cry out enough and if we offer enough sacrifices and promise enough things that we can get God to show us favor. You know what that is? That is the exact opposite of grace, isn't it? That's what every world religious system says. Right? It says if you want the favor of God, you cry out to him in your distress. You beat yourself up. You offer sacrifices. You obligate the God to meet your needs. That is not biblical truth. That is religious truth. But that is not biblical truth. God unleashes a storm. It has an impact upon these sailors. God brings a pagan captain down into the belly of the ship, and he finds Jonah sleeping, and he shakes him, and he has to awaken him from a deep sleep. One writer recognize that the word that's used in the book of Genesis when when Adam is put to sleep into that deep sleep so that God can operate on him is the same word that's used here in the book of Jonah. God causes Jonah to fall in this deep sleep because he is going to awaken his man on the run. Folks, please understand this. When you run from God, you will find a blanket of sorrow comes over your life. And you will, in regards to life, fall asleep. What were you thinking when you went away from God? You were thinking, I'm going to go get joy. I'm going to go find happiness. I'm going to find what I'm looking for. If you're God's child, he's not going to let you run. This captain shakes Jonah in the belly of this ship. He says to him, look look at what it says in verse 5. Jonah had gone down below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Same idea as Adam. In Genesis 2, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. What is the captain saying? We're up on the deck of the ship. We're crying out to our gods. It's not working. They're not responding. Cry out to your God. Maybe he will help us. What is God doing? God is giving his rebel a perfect opportunity to exalt the grace of God and the power of God in this situation. And I, I, I just love that part. Pursues him through a pagan captain. What is God showing the sailors? He's showing them that they need the true God. And then there's the roll of the dice that we see in verses 7 and 8. The sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots. Why? Because nothing has worked so far. The gods aren't listening. The gods aren't responding. So let's roll dice and find out who in our midst is guilty. And what does God do? God uses the roll of the dice, the smallest thing he controls. Uh, 
Proverbs 16, verse 33 says, man cast a lot, but the result or the decision from the casting of the lot is in the hands of God. And what does God do? In the roll of the dice, God gets his man because his presence extends that far to where Jonah is on a ship going in the exact opposite direction of the call of God. Now, here's the question I want to ask you. As we look at God using any and all means to confront our rebellion, that's the thought here. God will use any and all means to confront our rebellion. What is God's aim in the storm? Why does he hurl the storm at these pagan sailors? Is he trying to scare them? Okay, I mean, is that is God just, just playing with them? Okay, and I think that as you look at verse 9, when the lot is cast and it falls to Jonah, verse 7, verse 8, they said to him, tell us who is responsible for this. He answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea. He's in control of everything that's going on here. And what is there? There is for Jonah on the run a confrontation by sovereign plan. And it's getting the attention. What do you find? You find Jonah slowly beginning to awaken to a sense of, personal responsibility and personal accountability for the danger that he has allowed these men to come into. This terrified them, verse 10. It's the second time you see the word terror. First in verse 5, now in verse 10. What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So what's happening? As Jonah is confessing, God is using any and all means to confront his child to draw him back. And he allows the sea to get rougher and rougher. They say to him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And I, I, I love the response of Jonah here. It is the beginning, I believe, of what is repentance. Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. It will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come. Folks, I want to tell you something. That that moment of realization, when the Spirit of God opens your heart to see that the storm that is present in your life in certain circumstances when you are running from God is His desire, it is His attempt, it is His aim to capture your attention, to allow you to come to a place of brokenness. And when you, when you finally say, God, it is my fault, you will find such a release of burden as you own your sin and realize that that storm has been sent by God to confront my rebellion. It is His incredible grace. The beginning of repentance. What is Jonah experiencing? Why does he say, throw me in? Two reasons. One, I believe, is guilt. God has gotten His man. Jonah is running but God relentlessly pursued with extraordinary means to get the attention of Jonah. So what does he say? It is my fault. How deeply does Jonah feel remorse? How deep is it? You know what he says? He says, throw me into the sea. These sailors realize that that would be tantamount to asking for death. You know what Jonah understands? For my sin. I deserve to die. So it's, it's possible that the primary motivating factor is that Jonah is experiencing something. He sees himself as deserving of death. But secondly, it may be that it is motivated by love. 
What does he say? Throw me in. Why? He knows that when he is thrown into the sea, what's going to happen to the storm? You throw me in. This storm is going to calm down. He knows that his death is the only means of their salvation. And finally, this self-centered prophet on the run from God is beginning to think about who? He's beginning to think about somebody other than himself. Folks, when you, when you turn your back on God, I'm going to tell you something. You will not have the happiness of others on your mind. When you know what God wants you to do in specific circumstances in your life, and you, you hear the word of the Lord that is to define your purposes and your character, and you turn from it, I guarantee you this, at the top of your list is not the benefit of others. At the top of your list is yourself. And God had to bring Jonah to a point where he was willing to relinquish and sacrifice his life. He had to break him down to that point where he realized life has become all about me. And he forces him to admit that to these sailors. Now, they throw Jonah in to the ocean. Verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not. The storm grew even greater. What is God doing? God is intensifying, using extraordinary resources to capture the attention of his man on the run. Verse 14, they cried to the Lord, Oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. They understand that casting him in is death. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. What did the pagan sailors realize? That the storm... And its intensification is the hand of a relentless God pursuing a rebel religious man. They see it so clear. Lord, you have done as you please. Boom. Okay. And then what happens? The strangest thing. The storm immediately becomes calm. Immediately there is, and when you hear that, Okay, do you get a reflection in your mind from something in the New Testament? The story that comes to my mind, the story of Jesus asleep in the boat. The disciples wake him up. They're afraid. Verse 4, don't you care? We're perishing. Jesus arises. Why are you afraid? Speaks to the storm, peace be still. And immediately there was a great calm. The disciples then understood this was the hand of God because they remembered the story of Jonah. God miraculously calms the storm and signals his approval of the decision of the sailors by the calm that emerges. God, even in this story, is using Jonah in his rebellion to accomplish his purposes. That's how great God is. You know what we think? We think I need to be living a perfect life to be used by God. You know what? God will use you in any and all circumstances, not because it's deserved, but to show his amazing grace. So these men on this ship have a story that nobody will believe when they get home. God showing his grace. Storms in life, Tim Keller has said, will either show you that you have God or that you need God. For Jonah, the storm said, Jonah, you know me and you're running and I will pursue you. For those without God, the storm was showing them that they needed God. Why? Because the storm threatened to destroy everything in their life, including their life itself. And so they cry out to God. He is relentless in his seeking of rebels. And he has, if this morning you're on the run, here's what I want you to know. God has extraordinary resources to halt your departure 
from his face. And my conviction is this. If you know God, Hebrews chapter 12, I think, makes this clear. There is no son or daughter of God's that he does not pursue. If in your fleeing from God you find success, I want this text to be for you an awful warning. Because as Jonah, the religious, successful prophet of God, seeks to turn his back on God and go his own way, chart his own course, become his own boss in his life, God relentlessly pursues. And it is an evidence of his love. The last thought I want to show you this morning real quickly is this. The aim of God's storms. And I think it is so critical that we, we, we look at this and we say, okay, what is, what is God's purpose in this? Is he just, is he playing? Because the book of Psalms says he has the wind in his hand, so he's just going to throw the wind at the boat that Jonah's in and watch what happens. Watch how they respond. See what they do. What, what's going on with this? Is there purpose in the confrontation of God? Is God's aim ruin and destruction for a man that deserved it? Because I don't think there's any way to read this story and say, you know what God should do? He should just let Jonah go off to Tarsus or just let him die in the sea. Find someone else who has a heart to serve God. That's what you would think. Jonah deserves a substitute. He deserves a replacement. But what is God doing? God is going to demonstrate his greater grace by restoring a rebel and using him to go and do the task that he had called him to do. Why do the storms come? Why does God allow this storm to, to seize this ship and the man Jonah? What do storm runners, what, is, what do people that run from storms realize? Here's what they realize. They will realize that God's gracious intervention will move into their life and it will change how you see difficult circumstances in your life. God is going to use this storm as a gracious means of intervention in Jonah's life. It is God stepping into Jonah's life as he walks away from God. It is God throwing a stone wall in front of him that he can't get around and he can't get up over. He has to turn and do what? Face the presence of God that he was trying to flee. God's aim in this. As, as, as would be the case with any parent in this room, if your child starts to drift off into a lifestyle that you know is hazardous and dangerous, your loving pursuit of them is not to punish them. It is to intervene and to draw them back to an appropriate path and to an appropriate lifestyle. The difference between punishment and intervention is its aim and goal. And God allows a storm to fall into Jonah's life. Why? He wanted to draw him back into a deep personal relationship with him. Punishment comes from anger. Intervention is motivated by love. So as you read this story, what should you be seeing? You should be seeing a man of God trying to get away from God, a child of God trying to escape, God relentlessly pursuing. Why? Because he wants to punish him. No, because he wants him back. He wants him back in a right relationship with him. And so God sends this storm. The storm for Jonah was love. It was God's affectionate, passionate, relentless pursuits. It is meant to break, to restore, 
and to deliver Jonah from his rebellion. As Hebrews 12 says this, God disciplines us for our good. His aim in pursuing Jonah was to draw him back. One writer puts it this way. He says, when you see that the storms of life are meant to break, to restore and deliver, it's going to change how you view them. If I see the intervention of God in my life through difficult circumstances as punishment, what's going to happen? I'm going to become bitter and resentful towards God. Rome writer says, when we see them as loving interventions, we will not get bitter. We will get better. We will see that in those struggles, God is in the process of relentlessly pursuing. Paul says it this way. He says, the love of Christ constrains us. The storm was also love for the sailors, wasn't it? Because it drew them into the presence of the living God. They realized that the gods that they were serving and pleading to and crying out to were worthless. They were ineffectual. They were inactive. But they realized that the living God had visited them on this ship. Tough, uniquely sinful men were touched by the living God because now they are praying to him. I want you to notice what verse 16 says, because I think this is so critical to understanding this chapter. It says, after the the storm grows calm, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Okay, now here's a question I want to ask you. Is that what you expected? Okay, they throw Jonah overboard. The storm is immediately calmed, and it says, and they were greatly afraid. What does that mean? Does it mean that they're terrified and trembling and just want to get away from God? Or does it mean, the way that fear is often used in the Old Testament, that they are awed by the grace of God that has just been displayed in their life in saving them from a storm that was threatening to destroy their lives? I think the latter is the emphasis here. The storm is God's love for them. They greatly feared the Lord. They were amazed and stunned in his presence. Are you amazed at God's love? Are you amazed at how he so relentlessly and passionately pursues you in your sin? So amazed that you would turn to him and say, Lord, I have an area in my life where I have been ignoring you. And I want to turn that area of my life over to you. I want to ask this question in conclusion. How does this story point forward to Jesus? Okay? How how does the story of Jonah point forward to Jesus? Because later Jesus is going to say, no sign will be given to this generation except the sign of Jonah. Meaning there's something in the story of Jonah that points profoundly and clearly forward to the ultimate work of Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Well, in the story, what, what, what's the basic flow? The basic flow is there's a storm. Jonah is found to be the one who is responsible for the storm. Jonah says, throw me into the sea. If you throw me into the sea and I perish, what's going to happen? Your lives will be saved. Okay, and it's like, it's like bingo. Okay, why is Jonah thrown into the sea? And there's, there's a bit of a contrast that emerges. Jonah gives himself to the storm 
for his sin to save their lives. Okay? They throw Jonah into the storm. And what happens? It is the wrath of God is placated. It is satisfied. Okay? With Jesus, how does it work? Jesus gives himself for our sin to save us. Jesus throws himself into the storm that you and I deserve to face to deliver us from the profound consequences of our sin. Do you see? It's powerful. Jesus for the sin of others. Jonah for his own sin. But this is the sign. The ultimate Jonah is Jesus in his willing sacrifice. Here's what Jesus said. No one takes my life from me. No one throws me into the storm. I lay it down. What is that? That is God's relentless grace pursuing us through his son, Jesus Christ. Here's the way Jesus talked about Jonah, Matthew 12. He he answered them, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and, and nights in the heart of the sea. And now one greater than Jonah is where? He's here. So what's the picture? As Jonah is thrown into the storm to satisfy the wrath of God, for his own sin. Jesus, the greater Jonah, is cast into the storm to not for his own sin, but to bear the consequence of our rebellion so that we on the ship of life are delivered and set free. It is a, a glorious picture that points forward to the ultimate work of Christ, who takes the ultimate storm on the cross of Calvary. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 21 says this. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He threw himself into the storm, into the sea of God's wrath, so that we would not have to go there, and so that we could be graciously and freely delivered from it. He removes the fear of sin and death. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And what did the guys on the boat realize? They realized that they were free from the consequences of the sin that had come into their midst. Jonah's thrown overboard. The sea calms. Their lives are spared. So what are the concluding lessons that we get? And there are these. One is God relentlessly pursues, rehabilitates, and uses rebels. Because Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. My challenge to you this morning is this. If you do not know Jesus Christ then our prayer for you would be this, that you would come to realize that there is a storm brewing in response to your sin. It ends in death. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, freely gave himself to hang on a cross in your place to take the storm that you deserve so that you could be set free from the consequences of your sin. That is how profoundly and how much he loves everyone in this room this morning. He loves you. And he threw himself into the storm so that you could be freed from its consequences. If you're here this morning and you know Christ, I want you to ask yourself this question. What storms 
has God been using in your life to get your attention, to cause you to realize that you heard the word of the Lord, but you turned your back on him to flee from his presence and are going your own way. But all of these storms keep coming into your life. Why? Because God is affectionately pursuing you. You can't successfully ignore him. There is a downward trajectory to sin. God isn't going to ignore that or you. He loves you too much. To let you go off. So what does he do? He intervenes with storms. He disrupts your life to get your attention so that you will turn back to him and trust in the saving grace of God that's found in Jesus. That's what he's doing with the storms. Don't resent them. If you resent them, they will make you bitter. If you accept them and say, God, I understand what you're saying to me. I, like Jonah, verse 12 to 13, I confess my sin. It is my fault. Go to him this morning. If he's pointing to a specific area in your life where you know that you are ignoring the word of the Lord. Go to him this morning and say, God, I today, I cease my rebellion. I stop the sin in my life. I confess it to you and I put it under the blood of your son who was thrown into the storm, which pictures the consequence of my sin. I receive his forgiveness. I want to follow you. And you turn from rebellion and you flee back into the arms of God, just like the prodigal son went back into the arms of his loving and gracious father. God in his grace miraculously saves Jonah in the end of the story. He wants to do the same for you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?